Thanks, Elaine. Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you. Um, greetings from John Griffith. So, uh, the church over in uh, over in Topeka is doing really, really well. It's just exciting to see what what God has been doing over there. And um, we just had four uh, four young guys decide to come on staff over uh, to serve the Washburn campus, and we're right across the street from that. So we're excited to see see what's going to happen next year um, over at Washburn and in our community at, at Topeka. So, um, but I'm excited about what's happening here too, right? So really exciting news. I know I've been talking with Jonathan and we've been talking about the ministry house, which actually just, I think we closed on it on Friday, right? So officially the Bluemont Ministry House, which is exciting, uh, right across the street from K-State. Um, it's been really, it's been interesting to see at multiple of our campuses now that we actually are, are basically right across the street from the campus and have a location where we can be there interacting with students and, uh, and just seeing what God's going to do. Uh, so I'm really excited about what's happening here in Manhattan and at K-State, and I think it's going to be amazing. So as Elaine alluded to, I'm going to be uh, talking a little bit today about what happens when, uh, when times get difficult. We're going we're gonna to jump back into our Abraham series, and uh, if you've been following the Abraham series or some of the messages uh, it's clear that Abraham kind of had a life that was a little bit, a little bit up and down, right? So kind of like most of us, right? There are moments where it's like, this is amazing. I'm doing great. And then there's other moments where you're like, what is going on? Like, how did this happen to me? Um, or how did I do this to myself is sometimes how I think of it. Uh, not how did it happen to me, but. Um, so in our time together, I really hope that God is going to reveal to us this morning both the humanity and the faith of Abraham, because those those are two things that go hand in hand for all of us in our human experience, is that there are very human things that happen to us, and then there are things where it's... Um, where, where we can exercise our faith and, and really live in a way that God wants us to live. So, uh, so we're going to look at Abraham's life, uh, one story in particular in that. Um, but I know for me, there, there are, I've spent time lately um, kind of asking the question, and I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, but asking the question, about why life does seem to fluctuate so much. Like, why is it, why can it be so challenging, but yet so encouraging and just, you know, kind of going back and forth in those rhythms of life? Um, you know, I think that honestly, I think we live in the greatest time in history, spoken by somebody who's only lived at this time in history. So take it for what it's worth, right? But, but when you look at, at the things that are accessible to us and the things that we have, it's like, man, what, what an amazing time in history to live. Um, and so even in the midst of that, though, 
we still look around us every day. I mean, we look here and I mean, I, I love being here in this room because you, you look at the campus. I mean, it's just beautiful over there. But when you look at that, you see hope and expectation and the future. I mean, and, and those are the things that you think of when you think of the college campus. But even in the midst of that, when you get down and you begin to, to walk around you know, on the cement and the sidewalks and, and interact with people, even in the midst of hope and excitement and vision for the future, when you begin to talk to people, you see pain and brokenness and hurt. And, and it's all there, like, mixed right together in, you know, a couple of square miles. And, and that couple of square miles doesn't stop there. That's everywhere that we look in our own neighborhoods, in the places that we work. Um, it's all of those things mixed together. And Abraham's life really wasn't any different. And so as I was kind of pondering that this week, it, it took me back into my childhood when I was like five years old. So for those of you that aren't my age, you may not know what I'm going to talk about next. But for those that are, how many of you remember ABC's the wide world of sports. Anybody remember that? Okay, that was like one of the four programs that was on the television, you know, or three. I think it was just, well, PBS didn't count. I'm, all they had was Sesame Street, and that was kind of boring. So, but one of the three channels. And so on the weekend, there was this half-hour program called ABC's Wide World of Sports. And it always started off with this tagline, and the tagline was the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, the human drama of athletic competition. And so it showed, when it talked about the thrill of victory, they showed this boxer being carried on people's shoulders after he just won this amazing match. And then the agony of defeat, it shows this like downhill ski jumper who like he spins out of control right before he gets off the end of the ski jump and crashes into a barrier, and then he's like circling sideways. And so as a five-year-old, you're like, oh, yeah, the thrill of victory. And then you're like, oh, the agony of defeat. And I didn't realize until later that in some ways that's, you know, like sports is a metaphor for life, right? Which is why every pastor always has to make sports analogies. And half the people are like, I get so tired of sports analogies. But you have to have them because it's life. Um, and so, so as I was pondering that, I was like, man, it really is. There, there is this thing, there is this rhythm to life. And I believe that God really wants us to begin to understand uh, how that rhythm of life works and to be able to walk that out. And Abraham is an excellent, excellent example of what that looks like. So we're going to look a little bit at his life this morning we're going to see that Abraham was a model of a faithful life. He was not the model of a perfect life, but he was the model of a faithful life, which should be our goal as believers and as Christians. We want to have a life that is marked by growth and maturity, that at the end of the day, we want to be people who are growing and maturing and becoming more and more like Jesus. So, as we go through this and we, as we've gone through Genesis and we've gone through 
uh, studying the life of Abraham, one of the things that we see in his story is we see initially a man who trusted God enough to be able to leave everything that he knew. That God called him out of the land of Ur, said, I have more for you. And this man who had basically lived his whole life, accumulated, done all of these things, was like, okay, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to go. And then we see a man who seemed to be afraid of other people, like afraid of his shadow almost. A guy who, who got to the point where not only did he lie about his wife being his sister once, right, he did it twice. Like you would think, I'm, I mean, I know my wife, if I did that once, I'm not doing that again. Or I'm probably not going to be around, right? But Abraham somehow like did, he did this twice. And so you see this like, man, here's a guy in conflict with himself and probably with his wife. Um, and we see a man who believed God would make him a father of nations, even though he had no children. Man of incredible faith, a man of incredible vision that would trust God. And then we see a man who has a child with another woman because the timing wasn't quite working out. So you go from here, back down to here. It's like, what in the world is going on in this guy's life? All kinds of craziness. But the thing about Abraham is that in the midst of that, he remains loyal to God. Abraham, I believe, trusted God when many of us would not. You don't believe me? Let's turn to our first verse. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. How many of you guys are going to jump at that command? Okay, not me, right? I mean, I have a like a personal vested interest in this because I have a son named Isaac. So when I read this story, I'm like, like man, I, mm, I'm not quite seeing that. Like, that's how does this happen? And so. Abraham, you think about his life, he's over a hundred years old. He'd waited a long time for God's promise to become a reality, to be able to have a son that a nation could be created through. And now he's asking him to sacrifice him, to kill him. You know, I think if it's me, I may have had a couple of conversations with God about this, asking him, you know, if he was just confused. Or if he had something quite wrong because it just doesn't make sense. I mean, for most of us, we we second guess what we're going to have for breakfast, right? Even if we only have one cereal in the cupboard, we're still thinking like milk or no milk, right? And then if you don't have milk, you're still thinking, well, I've got no milk. Do I eat it with my hands or do I still grab a spoon? Right? I mean, we, we can second guess ourselves all day long. But Abraham has this moment where he is having to look at this situation. And if you don't believe he's second guessing or thinking something's gone wrong or he hasn't heard quite right, 
I can't even imagine what the situation looked like. But for Abraham, in that moment, he knew that he heard God, and he knew that he would obey. So God wants to take Abraham even deeper in relationship with him, and ultimately is really wanting to use this to reveal his intention for what is going to happen with his own son, Jesus, later. Abraham doesn't know that. We know that now. But God takes Abraham through this ultimate test of obedience, and it actually begins in verse 1 of chapter 22. So we're going to back it up a verse, and we're going to start there. So, after these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Abraham then said, here I am. So Abraham had been living in the land of the Philistines, uh, said he had been there for quite some time, and then God decides to test him. Now, again, I imagine that Abraham, at this point in his life, he thought that the major test, kind of the pinnacle of tests that he was going to have, was being able to have a son, right? I mean, if you're waiting for years upon years upon years, and God tells you you're going to have a son, you still don't have a son for years, your wife is getting older, you're both outside of childbearing years, you, you probably think, and then God comes through, you're probably thinking, I passed my major test with flying colors. I believed God. But somehow in this moment, God is like, all right, I have another test for him. I want to draw him closer into relationship with me. And that's what he does. And so um, it's interesting that God says he tested Abraham. He tested Abraham. I think it's important for us to know that when, um, when it's God... Satan, the world, life, or just our own flesh tempting us. It's important to be able to distinguish between those things, right? Many times you'll hear people say, oh, God's testing me. But what's interesting is in the Bible, there are really only three times that it talks about God testing people. Most of the things that many of us consider tests in life are, honestly, it's the world or life or it's our own soul. You know, something inside that's happening to that. So I want to look at four major kind of tests that are found in the Scripture, and I listed them here for reference. So the first one is we test ourselves, right? We test ourselves. So in James 1, 13 and 14, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And so I think for most of us, this is the most common one. There are desires that we have. There's our flesh, our soul. It's just like, I want to do what I want to do. And then sometimes later we're like, God was testing me. It's like, no, that was kind of on you. Like, you did that one. Um, and, you know, may it have been a test? Sure, but it was of our own volition. The second one is that the world that we live in tests us, right? The culture that we live in, the ideologies that are swimming in the culture that we have produce tests. And so in, in Luke eight thirteen it says, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And so there are things just in culture, things that surround us that can create tests for us. 
And, and we need to be able to respond to those. That's why we spend so much time teaching worldview and training people how to respond to what's happening in culture. is because this is a very real thing. And God wants his people to know how to respond to those. The third thing that we see is that the enemy can test us, right? And this is another one that, that Christians often get super, super wrong. And they're like, the devil did it. The devil's testing me. Well, how many times in the Bible do we actually see that happening, right? So we see it for Job, right? And then you see Jesus on the mount when Satan's testing him. Other than that, you don't see it a whole lot where there's direct reference to that happening. And so so the enemy can test us, but again, I think it's typically we're in those first two categories. And then the final one is that God can test us. And we see that here with Abraham. We see it in John 6, 5 and 6, when Jesus tested Philip before feeding the, uh, feeding the 5,000. And so again, even that one... Uh, scripturally and biblically is pretty rare, but it's usually stuff that's just happening in life. So it's important to acknowledge that sometimes no one is testing us, but life is just hard, that life can just be difficult and it can be a part of the human experience. So because of that, and because we all know that we live kind of on this roller coaster, we need to find out how is it that we are supposed to respond, right? How do we respond to the times of life challenges and to these tests? And so, again, let's go back to, to, uh, to verse 2. And again, for Abraham, it is God that's testing him. And he says, again, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will show you. So this is the test of all tests. Literally asking him to give of your of his own son. And interestingly, this, this phrase um, that he uses there um, is the same phrase that Jesus used, uh, that was used about Jesus in John 3.16. Uh, this son whom you love, right? And so it's kind of a, a foreshadowing to what's going to happen uh, with Jesus and his relationship uh, with Father God. So then we, we move on to, chapter, or to verse 3, and it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out, went to a place in the distance that God had shown him. Now, I want us to notice here that what Abraham did was he obeyed immediately. And I think that's important because there was an opportunity for here for Abraham to kind of wait and to kind of maybe push back or to, well, maybe I didn't quite hear him right. I'm going to give this another week. I'm going to sit on this, going to think on this. Or the Christian, like, I'm going to pray about that. I'm just going to set that aside and pray about that. And we're going to see what God... But he knew that God had already told him to do that. And so his response was immediate. And he obeyed by getting up early the next morning and setting off on the trip. And this is important because obedience is what produces maturity. Obedience is what produces maturity. Trials offer us an opportunity to mature. 
Trials offer us an opportunity to mature, but obedience in the trial produces maturity. It's the obedience in the trial that produces the maturity. In order to mature, we have to, like Abraham had to, we have to obey God. It's not always easy, but that's the condition that we obey God. That God speaks, that we obey, and that then that is when we enter into that transformation process because of the obedience. And so, we continue here into verse 4. It says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. And so Abraham left on the trek. The trek was was really a pretty difficult trek. I mean, they they would have gone probably 30 to 60 miles from where they were up elevation the whole time. It took them about 20 hours to get there. And so when they get there, they come to this moment where they're standing there and it's Abraham and Isaac and it's time for them to go off and to leave the servants. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together and Isaac said to his father Abraham, pretty logical young man, father, he said, here I am, my son, said Abraham. And then he said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I mean, this, this is when it's getting real, right? Isaac realizes that. And so I want us to understand for a moment that this is also about Isaac's faith. It's not just about Abraham's faith. You know, when we go through a test or we go through a challenge or a trial in life, it's often not just about us. It's about the people around us. It's about the community around us. It's about the family members that we have around us. Because when we go through a test, in some ways, how we respond to that test and how we obey in the midst of that test is what's going to leave a legacy for those that go on beyond us and behind us. And so when you think about Isaac, you think about, man, what kind of a man was his father Abraham? I can imagine the difficulty with Isaac in this moment, and he's looking and he's like, wait a second, Dad, like, I'm a child of the promise. I know you and Mom have told me all about, like, being a father of many nations, and this is going to come through, but now you're, we have no sacrifice, you're taking, what's going on here? And so there had to be a degree of trust, a degree of confidence that Isaac had both in his father Abraham and in God. And so, Abraham then in verse 8, we pick it up, and he says this, he says, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And we're going to come back to this, but I want us to really notice Abraham's faith in this moment. And we get a greater picture of this in the New Testament when we look in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Abraham reasoned that God would be able to bring Isaac back from the dead. Right? So his response wasn't just one of a, 
of a casual indifference or, you know, man, I, sh- I sure hope, you know, that God will provide something later. He, he knew what God had asked him to do. He knew very clearly what God had asked him to do. But in that moment and in that decision-making process about whether or not to obey God, what did Abraham have to do? He had to reason through. Okay, Faith isn't just some, some sloppy feeling or some wonderful emotion. Faith is reasoned. Faith is a reasoned confidence based upon the nature and the character of God. And so because of that, he was able to see, listen, I know this God. I know the God who promised me that I would be the father of nations. I know the God who promised me that I would have a son. And God came through in those circumstances. And so he reasoned. He used his rationale and said, listen, if God is asking me to do this, then I know that God would also be able to bring him back to life. I love that, that his faith is one of reason and rationale and a confidence in the nature and the character of a good God. And so when they came to the place that God had showed him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So Abraham ties him up. Now, I'm telling you this, my, my son Isaac, I mean, he's bigger than me, faster than me, stronger than me. I mean, he's like six seven. he's wiry, he hurts me when we try to wrestle, so I stopped wrestling him. But I think about that, and then I think about this story, Abraham was an old dude, right? So you would think Isaac, if he wanted to... He's like, I'm out of there. I mean, he could have done whatever, and he could have escaped, right? But because, again, it's not just Abraham's faith, but Isaac's here, he stays in it. But I'm sure that this was one of those moments in terms of Isaac and how he's responding emotionally. It's just hard to imagine what that was in that moment. But we know that he didn't run away. And so Abraham reaches out his hand picks up the knife to kill his son, and an angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven, and he says, Abraham, Abraham. And then he said, Here I am. The angel said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I'm sure this was... An incredible moment. I mean, from a, from a human standpoint, it's probably one of the strangest moments that we see in the Bible and the story of God. That God says to kill his only son, and then at the last minute um, says, wait, no, don't do it. And I'm, I'm certain that you would think that in that moment, Abraham was like, either I'm losing my mind, what's going on here? Or else it was a, a just a, a a moment where it was like I knew it, I knew I could trust God, and I don't I don't know which that was because in my human experience sometimes I have both of those right, where sometimes it's like I knew it, I knew God you were coming through, and other times you're like I'm just confused God what just happened Why did you ask me to do this when I thought you were asking me to do this, right? But I'm sure it was one of those moments for Abraham. 
But what I want us to look a little bit more detail at is Abraham's response. And his response in that moment was, here I am. It was almost like this this quiet confidence where he hears the angel and then his, his response is simply to quiet himself and say, here I am. And it's interesting that this language of here I am is the language used throughout the Bible of moments where servants of God um, are showing their obedience to Him. We see it with Moses in the desert in the burning bush, right? Moses stops and says, here I am. We see it with Samuel and Eli in the Old Testament when he's awoken three times at night. And what does Samuel tell Eli to say? Here I am. And he does that. And then we see in Genesis 22, there are three different occasions that it occurs in this chapter alone where he stops and says, here I am. And I think that in the midst of trials and challenges and difficulties, one of the ways that we become stronger in exercising our obedience muscles is by learning this reflex. To be able to stop in the midst of trials, to be able to stop in the midst of challenges and simply say, here I am. And then quiet ourselves long enough to be able to hear what it is that God wants us to do. You know, it could be a situation where, you know, we lose a job, you know, and we have new challenges ahead of us. And we're, we're rushing and scrambling and trying to figure out what, you know, what's going to happen here? What am I going to do? And maybe God wants to just say, wants us to say, here I am. And we stop and we listen. You know, maybe it's a child who wanders from the faith and God calls out to you and says, hey, don't lose heart. And in that moment, he simply wants us to respond by saying, here I am and listen to how it is that he wants us to respond to our kid. Or maybe it's just one of those moments where you're in the midst of a challenge or a difficulty and you hear God speak to you and You're ready to rush and rush and go, go, go. But maybe he's just wanting you to say, here I am. And wait to hear the next step from him. But whatever it is that God speaks to us, I believe that the thing that God wants to develop most in us is that conditioned response to simply listen and to obey. Because the obedience is what leads to the maturity. And so Abraham, in verse 13, we see he looks up and he sees a ram that's caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham goes over, he takes the ram, and he offers that up as a burnt offering instead of his son. I think this is a beautiful picture of those times where even when it's the most difficult, the most confusing, we're surrounded by life's challenges, that... God has an ability to step into those moments and to do a complete reversal. To take something that we didn't understand, something we didn't think of, and to change it and to make it into something beautiful, into something wonderful, and to make it into a sacrifice that is honoring to God. You know, the most extraordinary thing is like when we are first introduced to Abraham, when God first called him, out of the land of Ur, what did Abraham do? He got up and he went out. And throughout his life, Abraham continued this pattern 
of obeying God. And he didn't always do it perfectly. He had his odd moments. But his heart was to obey God. And God knew all along, and this is the beautiful thing about God, He knew all along He was going to stop Abraham. Right? I mean, we don't, we don't have to question that. We see that in the story. He knew that He was going to do that. But in that, in Abraham's obedience, what was able to happen is that God was able to create this story, this narrative, this foreshadowing to show what God was going to do with His own Son. And that His own Son was going to be the sacrifice that was provided to give all of us freedom. And if Abraham hadn't been faithful, if Abraham hadn't obeyed and done that, then we lose that picture. We lose that story. We lose that reminder of God's faithfulness from generation to generation to generation to show us what He is willing to do for us and to do it in a manner in which we see the story and we look upon our own humanity, upon our own the way we live life because we can identify with Abraham and we can look at that and say, what would I have done in that situation? You know, where would that have left me? And so it's a, it's a, an opportunity for us to see what obedience produces in terms of the beautiful story and the narrative of God that when we obey him, that it really does change things generationally. And so, uh, as I finish up this morning, one of the things I want us to see is that God's goal, and this is the main point, God's goal for us in the challenges of life is to become mature. All right, this is one of those things where (laughs) I share it with my high school children and they're just like, like, no, dad, I don't want to hear that. And, I, and it's true even for me at whatever age I am now that it's like, man, really maturity? Like, that's one of the hardest things to do. I don't want to do that. But God's goal for us is that we grow up, that we mature, that we learn how to love him and to love other people well. James 1, 2 says it this way. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Why is this joyful? Well, he goes on. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I love that because God's heart for you and God's heart for me is that we would not lack anything. God isn't holding back. God isn't not wanting the best for us. God isn't making things difficult. God wants you to be complete, not lacking anything. And the challenges of life are simply things that God is going to use to grow you and to mature you so that you become exactly who he wants you to be. And so if we see those things in that way and we, uh, and we begin to obey God in those quiet moments... He is going to lead us into this goal of maturity. So this morning as we, as we close, um, and this is something that we want to do throughout the summer. We're going to 
We're going to be starting a study on the book of Acts coming up this summer, which I think is going to be amazing just for this community to go through the book of Acts together and see what God was doing in the church and how God wants us to interact with each other as the church. But in order to do that, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to take time at the tables at the end of the messages just to have some small conversations about what it is that God was doing, what it is that God is speaking to you so that you can encourage one another and just be the people of God together. So I'm going to end with a few questions that we're going to slap up here on the on the overhead. Overhead, I'm so old. What do we call this now? Uh, the screen. Um, yeah, you don't have to get out the little transparent paper and the markers and scroll it. Um, you guys probably don't even know what I'm talking about, some of you. But anyway, so I want us to end with this. I want us to look at these questions. Um, and the first one is pretty, just pretty general. But as we've been going through the book of Abraham, or even as I've been talking today, how do you identify with Abraham? Is there something about Abraham's life where you're like, yeah, that I can see that in my own life. And so just share that with one another at your table. The second one is where is God wanting to mature you? Okay, so this isn't something where we're like trying to out people at the table, you know, and if you don't want to talk, you don't need to talk. That's okay. That's part of this. Um, But if there is something where it's like, man, I see God is wanting to mature me in this area of my life. Go ahead and share that at your table. And then the third thing is, how is God asking you to respond in a current life situation? And this is one that I want you to take home and I want you to kind of think on and get in a quiet place with God and ask him, because I believe that God will answer in that moment. So the first two, maybe take some time, talk together around a table. Um, If you find yourself at a table of less than two or three, jump into another table. Um, But let me pray for us, and then we'll just take a few minutes, and then as you kind of finish your conversations, if you want to pray for one another, that's fine. If you finish your conversations and you're ready to go, just feel free to go. Um, We might, I don't know, do we have like mood music to turn on or anything like that when we're we're done? But anyway, let me pray for us, and, uh, and let's believe God for what he wants to do in our lives. So, Father, we thank you um, just for your incredible story uh, that you have us a part of. We thank you for the life of Abraham and what you're teaching us through that. God, we even thank you for the challenges uh, that life has because we know that in those, you want to grow us, you want to change us, you want to transform us. And, God, I thank you that you have people around us that can encourage us in that and that will love us well in that. And so, Father, I just ask that we would be your people, that we would love each other well. And, Father, that as we go through uh, through life's challenges, that we do it together and, uh, and that we do it well. We thank you for that. We thank you for your heart to make us exactly who you want us to be and to grow up into the people that you have called us to be. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Yeah. Very good.